Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sales Podcast, the podcast where a comedian talks to a relationship therapist. Today, we are going to be talking about criticism. So how to deliver criticism, how to receive criticism, uh, how to adapt your criticism to different people, to different groups. Uh, when you're in a professional environment, how should you deliver criticism there? Uh, if you question some criticism that's being leveled at you, how to respond accordingly, how to be proactive and not reactive, all these things we are going to discuss. We'll get into that soon. And first, uh, how, how are you, Eliza? How's, a, how's the pregnancy going? Great. <laughs> um, it's It's been good. It's a journey. I'm starting to look really pregnant now. So um, I just look like a little humpback whale. That's cute. Um, but yeah, it's good. How, how have you been? What's been I've happening? Been good. Yeah, look, uh, not, not the same sort of adventure you're going on there. <laughs> Been doing shows, just the just the usual. Yeah. Nothing good. nothing new to report. Yeah, podcasting with um Jordan still. Yep. Yep. Podcasting with Jordan. Um he's uh I wouldn't say excited. He's uh he's definitely uh more relevant than ever come leading up to an election. So yeah. uh, he's he's quite busy with all of that and I think he's still got a few lingering issues with his court cases so really um, yeah oh. and, and you're about to you know create a new life well yeah well you already have but <laughs> you're about to bring that new life into the world so you're mm. both going through uh very significant periods in your life and I'm here still doing shows <laughs> <laughs> still chugging along how's uh how's Adrian how's how's the central coast as well Central Coast is, is good. Um, needing some better vegan food options because I've really started craving pork buns, the vegan pork buns, sorry. Um, and there is literally nowhere on the coast that did it. Actually, I found a little um, like Chinese um, grocery store, like a supermarket, and I went and bought them. And, and then um, someone posted on this vegan page being like, just as I had bought the, these buns by pure coincidence said, don't get these buns from anywhere this ingredient is no one to like is banned in 12 countries and no one to cause like tumors, Ooh. cancers, severe behavioral issues and all this stuff. So, so sad. I had to throw them out. Then I went to the markets this morning to get vegan pork buns and they didn't take FPOS and I didn't have cash. So well, I was crying. <laughs> missing out. Are you, are you able to make them yourself or is it, is it I mean, probably if it's too much effort. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. You got a lot on your plate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like fake meat is like at its it's a whole different ball game. If it was real meat, probably be easier, but I don't know how to, they do that. Anyway, finding so fake meat in the Central Coast. Someone struggles. get up here and start a business, please. If you're <laughs> well, in hospitality, <laughs> half the half the fast food meat is is I'm guessing ninety percent processed garbage anyway. So. That's yeah. probably that's probably not. It's it's hardly any uh, actual animal meat. If you eat a McDonald's, oh. I've heard the, the chicken nuggets <laughs> are uh, made out of the the feet of chicken. I mean, technically, that's still meat. Is it, well, I don't know. Is it is a is a foot of a chicken considered meat, or is that it's not just like animal product? What would you call it, that? It's not like it's like, oh, it's feet, like I'll eat that. It doesn't bother me. It's just the mass production and like millions of and the standards in which the animals are kept in. Oh, oh, I'm not I'm not suggesting you you actually eat the feet. I'm just (laughs) I'm just pondering whether it's actually considered meat. Like the the, Yeah, it is. It's what if what if you eat like the chicken beak? 
Is that it's because that's not that's not soft and, and fleshy? That's not what. How do you define meat? Is it just any part of an animal, or is it just the fleshy part? Well, I agree. Okay, you're right. I think it's it's the flesh, but I don't say I'm meat free. Like I'm I'm animal product free. So. Yeah. No, I'm not. Again, I'm not. I'm that's not even, suggesting even you go it. and actually eat that. I'm just thinking out loud here. Because I'm even look, do I wouldn't it, eat it either. You know, I'm <laughs> basically either, I'm like 99% vegan too. So. Um, I'm just wondering what actually defines meat. But anyway, that's a weird tangent. Um, Okay, before I'm sure people are going to criticize me for that. So that's perfect for this podcast. (laughs) But uh, before we get into the the meat of this podcast, (laughs) uh, (laughs) I'm going to have a quick word from our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Steady Freddy. The spray that keeps the cum at bay. If you suffer from premature ejaculation, which one in three men do, and this doesn't just mean you come in 30 seconds. It could be you come in eight minutes, but you want to last 20 minutes. Uh, Go to SteadyFreddy.com. Get their delay spray. It's formulated by Dr. David Reiner. And uh, it's, uh, they've also got, they've also got condoms. They've got uh, wipes. They've got a huge range of male sexual health products, but the big one is that delay spray. So go ahead on to steadyfreddy.com. Use the code SEXCELLS and you get 15% off. So you can you can leave this podcast early. You can you can you can come back and go to steadyfreddy.com. And uh, look, I can't come up with the puns. Max came up with a good pun. The spray that keeps the cum at bay. I'll work on yes. a better pun. But um, obviously use uh, read the read the labels, use only as directed. But uh, go ahead to steadyfreddy.com. Oh, yeah, the ball boost tablets. They're fantastic. Get some of those as well. Yes, yeah. So steadyfreddy.com, sex cells is the code. We're also sponsored by Crush Organics. Crush Organics, huge range of CBD oil products. There's no better time for some CBD oil. Everyone needs to relax. Everyone needs to be stress-free. Get yourself some CBD oil, a few drops before bed, a few drops throughout the day that will help alleviate any anxiety or stress that you have. They also have other products as well. Uh, They've got pain cream. They've got CBD oil for the pets. I think uh, we can see Eliza's dog right there in the corner. Is is she still there? Millie. You see a little head pop up? Yeah, just saw it. Yeah, yeah. So if you're watching on YouTube, I think you might have just seen uh, Eliza's, uh, Eliza's dog Nelly there. And you can get some CBD oil for your pets. So crushorganics.com, crush with a K, use the code Neil, and you'll get 40% off. Okay. Oh, and I'm doing shows all over the place. Go to comedyuntamed.com, weekly shows in Sydney, monthly in Melbourne, Brisbane, uh, Newcastle, and Western Sydney, comedyuntamed.com. That's the new website. Check it out. It's very basic right now. We're working on it. (laughs) But uh, uh, we got... Uh, shows all over the place. Australia's wildest comedy show. Come see me live. A lot of people who listen to this podcast always come up and say hello after the show, and I really appreciate that. So thank you. And last thing I will say is if you want to send in a question or a topic or a shout-out, neilkolhatka.com slash podcast, and all the money from those subscriptions goes straight to charity. So send in a topic or a question. All right. Criticism. How to deliver it? Let can we start with that because this is something I'm uh, I'm thinking about a lot recently. Uh, I'm <laughs> yeah. managing a few more people, and uh, yeah, I, I I I always overthink it. You know, if I'm uh, 
wanting someone to move in a different direction or try something different or change their approach to a certain work task, I I definitely overthink how I'm uh, going to deliver that. And particularly if I if I actually think they're not, uh, you know, working to the standard that they're capable of, um, I never know whether to go the sort of blunt, what could be perceived as harsher route or to massage it and give them, what do you call it, a truth sandwich. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I know you've uh, worked in a team that you've been in a leadership position in for a while. How do you deal with something like that? I'm sure you've had to all you know, the slam time. the book down like and criticize people. <laughs> yeah. sure, you've, uh, sure you've yelled at people for an yeah. hour, embarrassed no. them in front of the team. <laughs> no. So how do you do that? How have you uh, learned how to deliver criticism effectively? And then also how do you adapt it to different people? Because um, yeah. soon I want to talk about how uh, some people are actually just not good at receiving criticism and that can be very detrimental to themselves and to a team. But you you tell me your experience in this in this field. Yeah, it's it's definitely been a journey in um, giving that back. I always used to find it very easy to give criticism or feedback to my superiors rather than people that were reporting to me, which was interesting because usually I think for most people it's the other way around. Um, so I've really had to develop the skill in um, talking to my my team. And I guess I'm lucky in my organization we have um, a system which is basically the same in anything to do with social work or therapy where you have to have what we call supervision. So monthly, there is a set um, schedule where I will sit down with a team, someone from my team for two hours and I'll talk through every month what I've observed, what's been positive, what's been negative, what I want their areas for growth to to be um, and any issues. But the nature of the sensitivity God, sensitivity of my role um, and the industry, it it actually comes up a lot. Like I would say that I'm having to have a formal meeting with a team member basically weekly about an issue um, or something that I need to address with them or a concern. So it is something that it's it's really hard, um, especially with my leadership style is very different to other um managers for example I've, I'm one of three managers in my organizations and we all have the same amount of team members under us and the other two take a very very different approach to um, what I take as well so it's always interesting to see how that goes as well. Can you describe uh, their approach compared to your approach? Yeah well um, for example we're actually all doing this leadership training it's a seven-month course right and part of that is they, everyone gets their own coach um, and we have to do like these personality assessments and it comes back with what your leadership style is. So my leadership style is um, creative innovator or promoter. Um, and that's basically what that means is I take on criticism as this, it's my burden to give it to you. Um, but here's, here's how I get I get the people's buy-in so that they're invested in the change as well. Whereas um, another manager, he is a he's the organizer. I can't remember like the actual leadership lingo for it, but it's essentially the organizer um, and the controller. So he actually just says, this is the deficit. This is how you fix it. Get back to me when it's done, basically. Um, and the third... Um, 
manager, she's very much like, um, she's kind of more similar to the other guy in that she's very blunt and direct. Whereas I like to really, really unpack it a lot down and to see um, what's going on beneath that. Are there learning issues here? Is it a cultural thing? Like, why is this person doing that? Especially if it's a continuous mistake. So I find that by unpacking it with someone, that's how we can actually get them to understand what they need to change. Um, So it is really interesting to see the three. And I wouldn't say that there's any more effective or any less effective in our approaches. It just is what meshes what like best with our personality style. And like, I know that for my team, I get my team to do move along because they like me. Um, And the other manager gets his team to move along because they might respect him. And the other one might be because they fear her or whatever, you know, so it's, it's all a different tactic. Um, but works in equal, <laughs> equally effective ways so far. There hasn't been an issue um, mm. anyway, but it's definitely a conversation I have to have a lot. And I've really started having to move away from being like a, look, I know these conversations are hard and this, and, ma- and being really accommodating to them to just being really direct um, and upfront about it. But I don't call it criticism. I call it feedback. <laughs> And it makes all the difference. Just that slight little reframe for them makes a huge difference in the second you say the word, I've got some criticism or I've got like, you know, I need to address something serious with you. They instantly get defensive. And as soon as they're, you know, they go into a uh, hyper arousal mode or whatever, they're not going to take on board what you're saying. So to me, it's more effective to keep someone calm and feeling safe so that I can effectively deliver a criticism um, to mm, them. Mm. Yeah. In my field, I've had maybe managers or directors have uh, exemplified those different approaches when delivering criticism to me. And mm. they've been effective uh, when it, depending on the context. So uh, I had a manager that was very domineering and would just call me and and yell at me and it wasn't nice at all but uh, I guess from his point of view it was you know some people need to hear tough words and that's how they change they need to sort of be shocked a little bit and uh, occasionally that can work I know that with me it's I suppose it had an initial effect where I did sort of not panic, but uh, work very diligently in the short term. But soon enough, I realized, oh, hang on a minute. This is someone trying to be a tyrant more than actually Mm -hmm. trying to effectively mold someone into the ideal worker or ideal performer or whatever it may be. So it's, it's, (laughs) it's hard, right? Because with your organization, at least you've got those three different styles. So maybe if there's a worker that responds better to your style or a worker that responds better to someone else's style it you know they can they can be delivered feedback from the respective manager that suits that particular style so we're not allowed to do that oh you're not allowed okay <laughs> no, okay so you've each yeah. got your individual team we and each have how, like five right. people under us we can't mix and match it unfortunately okay. <laughs> it'd be great if we could though but be, yeah yeah in, yeah in, I mean, I, I don't have a lot of experience in hospitality, but it seems like there's someone who's always, you know, pulling the strings and, and 
maybe not visionary per se, but the uh, the person making executive decisions. And then there's a team manager who's the officious one, you know, yelling at people and making sure everyone's in line. And yeah. often the strict one that everyone hates. And it's quite a thankless role. Everyone, the, yeah. no one likes that person, but occasionally you do need that. You do need the, uh, the army general uh, in, in some organizations to pull everyone in line and, and, I guess like with a bad, a good cop, bad cop, maybe you need a, a, a good leader, bad leader, and someone's yeah. got to take that bullet. Um, if you really extrapolate that idea with, with bigger organizations, the classic example is someone like, you know, you, Steve Jobs and I think, what's his name, Wozniak or whatever, where one was the visionary and always coming up with the ideas and the other one was just the manager. How do we actually uh, enact yeah. this? How do we put this in place? How, and that, again, that's like the thankless job. No, Oh, I don't know. Maybe some people want to do that. I don't want to do that. Like it sounds like the person who's there thinking about everything, how to how to move a company forward, how to move a team forward. Uh, yes. You know, liaising with the high high end clients or whatever, whatever it may be. They're doing the interesting things, and the and the micromanager is is left to to be the uh, the hated yeah. dictator, but is a necessary role. Yeah. And in a, in a smaller business like what I I have right now, I I have to. Well, no, it's it's a it's a more of a partnership, but because of my experience, yeah, I, I feel like I do have to be both, and definitely mm-hmm. that micromanager role is very new to me, and um, I'm I'm learning, um, and I I think I'm I'm getting better at it, but you know, I I even question when I have to sort of have a uh, a firm talk with someone. I go back from that questioning, like, oh, did I say the right thing? You know, is that going to actually be effective? Are they just going to secretly resent me? Um, so I, I, I like to think that will just, you know, naturally evolve with experience. And the more I get used to that sort of a situation, I'll get more comfortable. And, you know, I've even told the people I'm working with, like, hey, this is a new sort of position for me. So by all means, like, you, my door is open for you to, you know, deliver constructive criticism to me as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And... I guess it's it's definitely all a learning curve. I've also found that certain people uh, can take on board criticism very or feedback very differently to others. Yeah. And mm. something that you know, this goes back to something I read a couple of a couple of years ago, which seems like something simple that I'm sure you'd be very aware of, and most people are. But I just when I and look, we all this word is so overused and only a psychiatrist should use it, but the, the word narcissism, narcissist, whenever I envision someone like that, I just think of someone who is domineering, who is never admitting they're wrong, uh, always wants to control other people and thinks they're the greatest in the world. But uh, what I've realized is that there's a complete other end to that spectrum where the the person who is extraordinarily fragile to the point that they make everyone feel bad if they deliver very valid points or, or criticism uh, it, it's often done subconsciously. Uh, you know, a, a prime example of that is someone delivering a very milk toast critique of a behavior or whatever it may be, and and they sort of crumble and think, oh, fine, I am useless then. I'm a piece of shit. And then the other yeah. person is having to apologize. Like that is a form of manipulation. <laughs> yeah, manipulation, yeah. ego, and yeah. um, you, you don't right. want to work with uh people like that and I and I've worked sort of on a casual basis with people like that and I've even sort of seen people who, who have those tendencies I've I've you know when I was younger I probably had a little bit of that and I like to think I've worked on that uh, but it's something that a lot of people aren't necessarily aware of and the, the ability to just accept criticism in a mature way 
or again, <laughs> I gotta start using feedback. That's much better. Um, that that's a sign of emotional maturity and intelligence. Yeah. And it, and and if people either get so defensive to the point where they can't, where they they start attacking you, or uh, they take it on and actually get too sensitive to the point where uh, they crumble and they can't actually do the role effectively then because their sense of self-worth has been hit so hard by that criticism. You know, no one wants to work with either of those people. Um, and similarly, no one wants a leader that is either of those two. I'd, I'd assume in a, in a leadership position, it's more likely to be the, uh, the mm. you know, the, the, the standard form of... Um, the, narcissist uh mm, but again yeah, i i, I yeah. use that word very uh it's very subjective but yeah. uh i always used to think job interview questions were, were cringy and, and pointless but i think i think what employers are trying to gauge rather than just someone's performance is just how what are their people skills like and you only get whatever it is five minutes to do that but i really think that's what you're trying to do in that situation because i i always used yeah. to think well what are you, you're going to get a good gauge of how effective this person is going to be in a role in a matter of whatever it is five to ten minutes so what's the point of these ridiculous questions like oh you know what's something you did that you know you're proud of or like what's your worst quality what's your best quality all this mm -hmm. stuff but i think it's more of like an underlying idea of how this person operates when you know they're, they're asked these sorts of questions how they answer it do they answer it succinctly are they are they sort of overbearing and yes. try too hard to answer it i think yeah. now i realize like that's what you're trying to gauge in a in a job interview um have you ever had to i'm sure you have you've interviewed people and things like that is that an Hundreds accurate assessment is that <laughs> yeah. is that what you're looking for in a in a job interview definitely we actually went through a job interview process last week and we interviewed a fair few people for like a senior therapeutic role and we had like so many questions because it's a senior what role it's much more thorough than our standard interviews we had all these questions and then we'd sat with hr as well and talked about here's the question we asked but here's actually what we're looking for so we might say like a random question and then we'll be underneath in our own like but we don't mention saying do they bring up trauma-informed care do they bring up um person-centered methods or counseling methods that they use do they bring up an understanding of arc this framework we work, work within um things like that we kind of had all these sneaky little um feedback points but yeah it's it is a really interesting point how we do kind of amend and i think that it is a personality <clears throat> is a really big match and we're lucky that in my organization with those um when we interview we actually match the interviewee to the the manager um so based on how they are so like for example that the guy uh the male manager i was talking about before anyone that's very actually kind of like you like very like logical organized that kind of thinking um head thinking goes with goes with this manager and they work really well and then the people that come in that were like 
the dream is and that this is the vision I have for the children. This is the vision I have for the families. And this is how I like to communicate. They all get uh, placed with me. Um, and it, it, it's beneficial to have those kind of like me and this guy actually have been working together since I was 21. Um, we've been in three different jobs organizations together because every time I leave, I, I bring him with me. He's, um, and we, we call ourselves like yin yang um, because we're, and good cop, bad cop sometimes. Um, and like he is that person, like you were talking about before, that I look at the big picture, he looks at the details. Um, and that came out in, in my leadership assessment as well. It's like you will, you can sell the big picture to literally anyone without mentioning one single detail um, and you don't even think about it. And he's like, you can't see the big picture, but you will know every single little detail and things like that. So it's interesting to have that balance. But when you're on your own, it's it's completely different. And, you know, like Adrian's um, a manager as well for uh, in, in trade. And he's like always so shocked at how like how in depth they have to, do, to go because I work from home some days, um, oh, many days of the week. And he has he's overheard conversations, etc. And he's like, I can't believe how in depth you have to go to provide feedback and you have to sit down and do it like and one to two hour meeting and have it so formal and like really unpack everything whereas he just calls him and he's like fix this fucking pavement and then like <laughs> hangs up <laughs> that's yeah. it like yeah. it's crazy imagine, yeah. yeah yeah i'd imagine in the trades <laughs> on the job yeah. side would be very blunt to the yeah. point and <laughs> just how it assertive is, yeah. yeah um <laughs> but when you're in the arts you can't see I sometimes receive, I, I appreciate it when sometimes people say that to me in a very blunt and it, when mm. it's someone I trust, that's the big yeah. disclaimer there. But uh, when you're in the arts, you can't, you know, you can't always do that. Uh, yeah. You know, people are different. We'll say that. And I think you've got yeah. to mold a, a bit of the criticism to the, the style of personality um, that you're working with. Having said that, again, I don't know if I'm overthinking it. Like I, I, wonder if um you know uh it's something i could do a i could read a book on or do a course on or something like that um because it's not it's not something that's a big issue or i'm struggling with it's just it's it's just very new to me like i've always worked mm -hmm. for myself and i've had a manager who's well arguably I, the client is technically that you know the manager actually works for the performer but uh in many instances the the manager is sort of you know, giving you directions and, and telling you to, to, to do certain things, uh, um, helping mold your career and as a result takes on board that leadership role. Um, so yeah, it's all yeah. very, it's all very new to me. Like I said, um, mm. yeah, I think how a would good you, place sorry. Oh, you no, know, you go on. I was going to say a good place to start is just, um, asking someone how they like to receive feedback. Um, and yeah. like me personally, I also like a blunt, like I say to my manager, like, you know, uh, I have my own, uh, the CEO and I say, you know, if you have feedback for me, you know, have to pull me into a meeting. If you don't have time, send it to me in a sentence in an email and I'll fix it. You won't see it happen again. That's it. Um, and I don't take it personal uh, if it happens or whatever, but I have people on my team that I know are going to be extremely personally invested in, in the way I view them um, and the feedback I give to them. And I think that's what's really you know, I think, like you said, the arts field is that it's very um, 
people take it very personal and they're invested in my investment in them as well. Little snowflakes, eh? Yeah. So it has to be really, and I speak to them all individually and I say like, how, how do you like your feedback? Do you want me to go to the point? Do you want me to talk like, um, bigger picture? How do we unpack this? Do you want it in writing? Do you want it verbally? Do you want it gently? Like, do you want a support person? All these things. Um, I always ask them, but at the end of the day, during the feedback that I give people, I will um, always check in with them during it. Um, and I'll also try to make it like a learning experience, I think, for them. For example, I actually have recently been working with someone um, in my team and she's a really amazing worker, but she has, let's say she's got the gift of the gab um, and she talks nonstop Um in we do a lot of external stakeholder meetings with like the departmental government um about very high risk sensitive cases and she talks a lot and overshares a lot of information etc and i've been working with her a few times and i kind of had mentioned you know like when they ask questions this time just answer the question nothing else 10 seconds or less um but she would still go on for these 10 minute spills so one time like with consent i said can we record you um, and then in this separate supervision with her, played it back and was like, this, this is what I observe and hear in you. Um, can you hear this in yourself? Can you see this and identify why this is? And then from there, I go on to say like, well, the reason why I keep bringing this up for you and, and this oversharing, first of all, this oversharing is not benefiting everyone else it's actually benefiting you because I think she seeks a lot of uh validation um and acceptance of all the work she's done which is you know she's done a lot of work with these families etc or clients so well can I can I just jump in there I'd imagine that would be quite a confronting thing to hear for someone who you know is is in that line of work to, yeah. to hear something like that. Hey, this is, this is more your, the way you're uh, communicating with these people. It's more for you rather than for them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a big learning curve to understand that. Like, and I guess that's the, that's the benefit of coming in from a therapeutic place is trying to say like, you know, when you actually are over communicating and oversharing, you're not benefiting the people that are listening because I can I can observe them tuning out and losing interest and the important messages that you need to say about this child are not getting heard because it's one important message is swept in with 20 other statements you've made in the same 10 seconds or whatever. Um, so I said that in why are you doing this? You're actually losing validity, uh, validity and um, trust in your delivery. So I think that, you know, this is why people are doing this or this is why people are responding with this and this is how I want you to amend it this is what I want to see going forward do you agree um do you disagree etc um how do you feel about this feedback and you know it's it's also important to like recognize that it's there are a lot of like considerations that that's actually her personality and you can't like it's difficult to have have a criticism about a personality trait because that's who she is as a person so that's something I guess I uh, it's it hits home a little bit because there's uh, instances where I've I've definitely sort of reflected and think like okay I'm I'm expecting certain people to to do this work in the way I would do the work right yeah. but no one's yeah. no one's the same as me no one's gonna be 
you know, no one's done what I've done. No one's, no one's got that experience that, that I have. So I have to sometimes tone that down. But at the same time, I, fe- I can't help but get a bit frustrated when I'm like, oh, it's so, this is not like a hard thing to do. Why aren't you doing it? Um, but yeah. then if I delivered it in that sort of way, it, I, I'd imagine it would come across as a bit tyrannical. Um, mm. How would you re- deal with someone who, like I was uh, mentioning before, is very sensitive and, and maybe, you know, the, the leader observes like, hey, this is someone who maybe overthinks a lot of the tasks and puts so much pressure on themselves to the point where, you know, like it's hard then to deliver the criticism because then that just heaps even more pressure on them, which is in many ways from the leader's point of view, what is actually hindering them from doing the task as effectively as they could? How would you, uh, you know, do you again just sort of like work on ways to deliver it in a different way? Do you go with that more bigger picture vision, visionary sort of communication or do you be specific? What would you do in that sort of a situation? I think it's, you know, it is important to be specific at all, at all times um, so they understand what, the issue is, but I think for someone that's really sensitive, unless they've done a, a big fuck up, I wouldn't use the language, you know, that there is an issue. Um, I would say like, you know, there's something that I think that we can develop better between us or like, I think that this is going to be a better way forward or this is what I really like to see in you or this is a skill I really want to hone in on. So those kind of like language things, but if they've made an actual mistake or there's an error or something that isn't being done well i think that their response to it is actually their responsibility and not yours so if they get offended by that and and really upset that's on them that's not on on you to handle or 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 address and one of the things that i've learned about giving feedback and i think maybe considering how you feel about this we probably both sit in there there's two different styles there's one that's like called the instrumental Um, and it basically means is that we perceive feedback to be, you know, even though it's really important for this person, it's almost like it's our burden that we have to consider how we're going to deliver it and how we can best ensure that that person isn't, um, you know, really affected. And then there's another way. The second route is called, I think it's called the effector. And it is, uh, basically that here's the feedback and you deal with it in your own way, cop the consequence if that's needed. Um, but I think that just having a sit down, um, or even a phone call and just saying like with people that are highly sensitive, I always include here are the strengths I see in you and starting in that here's what I really value. And like what I see that you've brought to, to this role or to this organization or whatever, or this job. Um, but here's, this is something that I really want to see developed. And like, do you need support developing this? Do you need ideas? Do you need skills in this? Like, what do you need? Or how can I support you to get you there? It's hard yeah. to kind of give specific advice without knowing what the actual no, issue I know. is. And I can't, yeah. I, you know, I don't want to yeah. like bad mouth yeah. anyone. So, um, and you know, it, it's not, I'm also a perfectionist. Like I'm taking that yeah. into account. So I'm like, well, am I over, you know, so I got to yeah. sort of calm down on that. But when you got those two different styles there, like the effector, see, mm-hmm. I'd appreciate if I was uh, the the worker or the person, you know, be, uh, receiving the criticism, I appreciate that. But yeah. I also am looking at, at it from the point of view where it's like, all right, well, what's going to be the most effective? I actually want this to, to work for everyone. So like I have mm-hmm. to try and think about, not what sort of communication style is good for me. Like if it was up to me, yeah, I'd be that effect. I'd just be like, hey, look, yeah. this is what you're doing wrong. 
do it do it differently next time like as simple and yeah. blunt as possible however i suspect that's not going to be effective and i'm trying to you know be as effective as i can and and bring out uh, the best for um the, the the team if you will so i guess that's some things that uh, uh are, are uh, on my mind when I think about that as well, but that was really helpful. Thank you. Um, let's let's move on to criticism in a in a re- in a relationship because I've heard I can't remember if it was it was one of the very notable um, relationship therapists. I can't remember who, but they said the biggest killer of a relationship is the inability to accept criticism maturely, and uh, I can attest to some of this in previous relationships, whether it's me having received the criticism or whether it's uh, me delivering the criticism. I mean, when you're in a romantic yeah. relationship, you, that's v- obviously so very different, different to a professional <laughs> yeah. environment because, you know, you, you, everyone's going to be sensitive in that in that situation. Well, I mean, I, I'd imagine people are going to be much more sensitive than they are in their in their work. So you really do have to tread lightly. I don't, I don't think there'd be many relationships where you could use that effector approach where you're just blunt and to the point. I mean, some, some couples probably do communicate like that. And if it's effective, good, that that's great. But I'm, I'm guessing, you know, that you'd, you'd have to sort of massage things like that. But at the same time, um, I think a lot of people have idealistic ideas about themselves and, and their partner and the relationship. And as a result, any criticism is seen as an attack on that, you know, romantic ideal. And that's very hard to, to deal with. I mean, when you go into a new job, you sort of, sort of understand that the, there's going to be, you're, you're learning, you know, you're, you're going to receive yeah. some form of criticism. Whereas yeah. for a lot of people, I think particularly young people, when you, when you hear criticism in a relationship, that's very hard to hear because you think, you know, yeah. you're just expressing your love in a very organic, uh, natural way. And, and, you know, if someone says, Hey, the way you express that love uh, I think it, it, it would be better for the relationship if you maybe tone this down or if you do more of this or, uh, and again, I don't want to use maps cause it's such a, you know, it, it is obviously a very, uh, co- commercial show, but you can see it there, the, the, the inability for a lot of people to receive criticism, yes. but also the inability to, um, deliver it in a, in a mature way. Um, and yeah. I think the perfect example of that was when I think, Ella was uh, delivering pretty reasonable criticism to to Mitch and, and he got very defensive. Now I can see from his perspective why he would get defensive because he's thinking, well, like I've shown love in the way I I I uh, I envision love and the, and I've I've done the best that I can do and it's still not good enough. So you know, like if if you if you're getting insecure about that, that's I'm I'm showing love as much as I can. But at the same time, you do sometimes have to go into a relationship knowing that uh, there are certain behaviors that you may be used to or that may come naturally to you that um, may uh, be useful to uh, adapt to the love style of, of your partner. Now, again, that has to come with a disclaimer of like if someone's constantly criticizing you and you have to change everything about you and they never have to change, obviously that's that's bad. Uh, I, you know, I have to say that, yeah. but... Um, what are your thoughts on on criticism in a in a relationship, and how does it differ to criticism in a in a professional relationship? Yeah, it's so different. Like even it, criticism professionally, I can I can take that easily, and it will not you know affect my demeanor or anything. Criticism in a relationship, I cannot you know control that. I do feel 
levels of frustration and you're also much more comfortable to retaliate and you're more comfortable to respond aggressively or in frustration or cry or whatever like that. And I actually haven't had criticism in my in any relationship for probably like four years. And the last time I got criticism um, by a guy who thought he was being really careful and and in his mind, he was being really honest and upfront. This is, I've talked about it a couple of times that I dated a lawyer. <laughs> really, it wasn't greatest little um, experience there. But what you were saying before, like, I want more of this. I want less of this kind of, he thought I'm being really honest and genuine here. And I was thinking, God, this is who I am. And if you don't like it, then leave. Like, I'm not going to change. That's it. He'd always be like, you know, I want, I want a little bit less of like, this counseling. I want a little bit less of this information you always provide about things. And I really don't like that you do this and you don't do this. And I was just like, Fuck, this guy's so critical and it was so draining. So this is a controversial opinion, but I actually don't believe in criticism in relationships. I don't believe it's effective. I don't believe it's necessary. I think that if you can, and I know that for a lot of people to hear that, they're not going to understand what I mean by that. It's not like I'm definitely a very assertive person. So if I see an issue, I address it um, all the time. I, you know, in the, in the Maya Briggs personality test, I'm 99% assertive, <laughs> uh, but it's, I don't deliver like criticism. I don't say you're at fault because of this, or this is the issue that I have with you. I say, this is what I need for our relationship to progress. This is how you can give it to me. Is this something that you can do? And if it's not, then it's my responsibility to assess whether or not I will stay in that relationship, if that makes sense. And obviously I still have relational issues that come up. Um, but one of the things that I find that I was going to say when you were talking about um, that the person that you work with or hypothetically work with, that's really sensitive, right? And I would apply this in relationships as well. So say, let's just say, I'm just thinking about the context of your um, comedy shows. And let's say you have someone on your team that's really bad at like, his job is setting up the lights and sound. And then every second show, he kind of like makes all these mistakes or whatever. Let's say that's the thing that you need to address. I Instead of addressing it afterwards for someone that's really sensitive, I would actually address it preemptively and say like, all right, we've got a show coming up, you know, in two nights, I want to get in maybe an hour earlier this time. I want to do all the sound checks. I want to do all the light checks. I really want this perfect. Like, this is what I want to see. Do you need support in that? Um, is there any way I can help you with that? And I think it's the same kind of technique works really well in relationships. So if you know that something is going to be like triggering to you or upsetting to you to set that scene before it, the event actually happens can be really helpful. So if you're going out to a party, say with your partner, and there are things that you know are going to upset you, like let's say if I see you dancing with another girl or if you do drugs or whatever, you say before like this is, if I see this, I, I know that I'm going to get upset. Like, are you comfortable respecting that um, or abstaining from that um, and putting that yeah. in place beforehand rather than afterwards being like, you fucked up and getting really upset in an emotional place? Because I think that criticism in relationships, it's really hard to give that completely neutrally. So I think it yeah. needs to come from a place of this is really what I'm seeking in our relationship and what I 
what I desire. And I, I speak about this actually in, in um, I was talking about in my group chat, the way that Adrian and I communicate. And what was interesting is that in my group chat, actually, like most of the girls studied with me in my first degree of counseling and behavioral science, and they still couldn't grasp the idea that we actually genuinely communicate like that. And not that because it, it sounds so textbook at times when I say like, you know, if I have an issue um, and I chat to Adrian about it, I don't go ever go out. I'm in a place of blame or upset or anything like that. I just say like, this is, I'm really needing this in the relationship right now. Or I um, sometimes I'll say like the other day I was, I was, you know, being pregnant in a hormonal we were out somewhere and I can't remember, but something upset me and it, he didn't even do anything, but I was blaming him. And I, I accused him of something. I can't even remember what it was. Like maybe it was that, I don't know what it was. It, um, I'm trying to think cause it's relevant now, but I accused him of something. And then he was like, I, I, I didn't do that. Like, I'm so, I, I didn't do that. I promise. And he was getting like, a little bit upset and then straight away I said like I'm you know I'm really sorry I can actually see like you know that was I don't know what is going on for me but clearly based on what I accused you of what I'm seeking is like reassurance from you um yeah. and when I'm you know retaliating like this or saying like you flirted or you did this or you checked out this or you lied about this or whatever I'm seeking reassurance in that and when I was yeah. talking to my friends about that, they were all like, I would never actually tell my partner what I'm seeking from him because he should know that. Like he should know to do this if I'm upset. And I'm like, well, what's the harm in just telling them this is what I need and then actually just getting what you need rather than punishing them continuously for not giving it to you? For that sure. It's sense. very, it, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, it makes perfect sense. It's very confusing if uh, you're being punished for something that you're not even aware that you're doing. Yeah. So it makes perfect sense to be Silent treatment. somewhat yeah. direct. I mean, if you're going to criticize in the way that your lawyer ex-boyfriend did, I, I don't see, I get there may be some couples who that is effective for, and you know, people who, who find, you know, beating around the bush or speaking in that kind of way to be childish. Sure. But I think for the majority of people, in a romantic relationship, your strategy is very effective there where, you know, I mean, like I would, it, it, yeah, it, it depends then like whether you want to call it criticism, feedback, whatever you want to call it. But like the point is like in any relationship, there will be things that mm. are, uh, that that one, uh, one person maybe would desire from the other person or one person uh, wants the other person to tone down in that sense, yeah. in, in that sense. Um, so I guess from uh, from some personal experience, I know there was some uh, actually sort of physical intimacy uh, criticisms that I received that were oh that's pretty you brutal. Can't not take that yeah. personally. Um, it's so hard. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that was not that was that was that was a big hit to the ego. Um, yeah. And uh, the best way to go about something like that is to be patient but say sort of positively when they don't do the thing or when they do something alternatively like hey oh that's that's good when you do that like okay yes. example is uh yeah. someone told me i kissed very abruptly and i'll I just go straight in. and you know I, I probably needed to hear that because i did actually um and they wanted sort of softer kisses and the way they said that though they, they kind of i went in for one kid and they're like oh, just you always do it like you always kiss like and i'd Aww. never it was like a clearly something that had built up 
yeah. and and was a pent up thing. And then yeah, that was that definitely a bruise to the ego. But uh, in a more recent relationship, I kind of had a similar thing where I didn't like the way someone was kissing me, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I went about it by saying, "Can you kiss me?" Rather than like, "Oh, don't do it that way." Like, can you? Try, just try kissing me a bit softer here like start off yeah. softly and then and then go into the tongue like don't go straight for the tongue yeah. kind of thing <laughs> yeah. um and then and then like oh yeah that's you know that's that's a turn on when you do that that's hot when you yeah. do that like that is much more effective than oh don't do that or like you know oh that's that's ridiculous when you do that i understand from for some people uh if it's a repetitive behavior that isn't fixed i'm not just talking about physical intimacy there, whatever it may be, you know, just household chores or um, uh, not not focusing on what someone's saying, just your classic, you know, long-term relationship issues. Um, I can understand where if, uh, you know, it's it's not changing or you can't see someone putting in an effort to at least try and change that or at the very least communicate why they maybe don't feel like they need to change that that's where you know I, I i do empathize with people who are like well i'm sick of having to spell it out like they should just know it by now mm. um but then at the same time you do maybe have to think about all right this is a, this i either have to accept that this is what this person is like uh or i you know maybe need to think about the relationship um so i i do understand that and i do empathize with that um yeah what I what do you think agree. about what that with 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 those sorts of situations where, you know, maybe people are, maybe someone acknowledges that they, they'll try and do something, they'll make an effort. Um, and then maybe they do employ those steps that you, that you mentioned previously where they, they'll, or the, and the ones that I mentioned where they, you know, they deliver it in that positive proactive yeah. way rather than the reactive way. Maybe let's even take into account the, your hypothetical with the lighting and sound, right? Let's say for five weeks I do, that and and the person comes in early and and they do it effectively but then i you know someone says all right i'm leaving i'm leaving this to you now like i i've I've sort of taught you or i've you know i've i've communicated very clearly what i'm looking for in the relationship then they don't do it and then they stop doing it when you when you do when you you know you stop sort of leading the way and and communicating very clearly like that's that's very frustrating you know um so what do you do in that situation when as soon as you're not communicating anymore, when you're not, you know, uh, uh, nudging them in the right direction, uh, they stop doing it. Because ideally with those behaviors, you want to, you you know, you want to um, influence a, an actual change within the person so that you no longer have to be the leader. And I'm sure in a lot of romantic relationships and maybe with your friends, I'm, I'm guessing that's what they're looking for, where, you know, even if they were to be direct once or twice, hopefully it's just that and then the person learns but often more often than not these sorts of behaviors are so natural and so ingrained it can take months sometimes even years to to unlearn various behaviors so what what advice would you have for people in that situation i think that a lot of it comes down to someone's buy-in um and when someone is continuously not putting forward you know what they've promised or what they've said that they're going to do i actually look at it as a sometimes as a sign of disrespect um, and and or, or lack of commitment at times. However, that being said, you know, we all revert back to our natural ways um, and it's human nature to do so. So you need to provide 
some leniency. Like I've talked about this before, how like Adrian and I have mismatched um, love languages where mine is words of affirmation and physical affection and his is acts of service. So I come home from work and he has, he'll be cooking dinner for me and he'll have a bath running for me. And then he'll give me a massage afterwards and like do all these things. Wow. And I'm, yeah, he's, he's very Damn. giving. Yeah. And, um, he's, but then still in my head, I'm thinking he hasn't even kissed me since I got home or he hasn't even said anything nice to me. Like, you know, we haven't had a deep and meaningful kind of thing and he and it's the other way around for him whereas like I'm always going to him and giving him hugs kissing him and I'm always like always complimenting him and giving him like positive affirmations being like I love this about you and this is so kind but but then I don't do anything ever like I I don't clean Mm. the house because he's such a tidy person he cleans it whatever and he was feeling in his mind that it's mismatched. Like he contributes so much to the household, um, like maintenance and, and I wasn't. Um, so we actually were having these conversations pretty like regularly. And we would find that we would both put in a lot of effort for like two or three weeks. And then we'd both kind then, of yeah, revert yeah. back to what we're used to Classic. or what we're comfortable yeah. with. Cause we think, Oh, you know, the, the issues, um, resolved now. And he would be really, really affectionate for a bit. And then he just goes back to his like standard place and doing all these nice things for me instead or buying me presents and things like that. And then forgetting that that's not how ha- I'm not going to feel loved by him doing that. Um, as nice as it is and ha- as, as sweet as it is, my friends always are like, oh my God, you're so lucky. He does A, B and C to me or, or to you, you're blessed. And I'm like, I wish I was like put more value on those things, but it's just my nature I guess I'm not like that probably because I had an upbringing where I was really really lucky and my parents would do all those things anyway they were very loving and very like you know do do everything around the house and that was just the baseline (laughs) um so it wasn't like they were doing it out of here's how I show my love for you it was just in their nature to be really tidy so it's hard for me not to be like well it's just in his nature he just likes to cook and clean and set up baths like you know um but anyway what what's ended up happening is um a couple of weeks ago actually I things have been like you know we've both kind of really met each other where we need to because we've brought this up a few times and for me I literally had to make myself a visual reminder on a um whiteboard that I look at every single day of have I done anything to contribute to this like the maintenance of the house like have I actually done anything um and in doing so I I tick it off every day I do it I tick it off and then I get so excited when he comes home because now I work from home and he works in Sydney and he comes home and I'm like look I ticked it (laughs) like I did it (laughs) and he puts in so much effort to make me feel like Oh my, he makes such a big deal out of it so that I feel like there's, it's a worthy investment because it makes him so happy. And he's actually like started this. It's kind of like silly, but he buys me like a little present (laughs) randomly to be like, I'm so proud of you for doing this. Um, But for me, the other day we were driving, um, the other weekend we were driving to the Blue Mountains and he had his phone on like the GPS thing. And I got this notification or he had a notification come up and it was like, love heart check in with Eliza and I was like what's that and he's like he literally puts in his on a fortnightly basis reminder on his phone to sit down with me say like are are your needs being met like 
is there more that I can do? Are you happy with this level of, you know, affection or, or words of affirmation? So that, that check-in is so regular and preemptive that if I say like, oh, it's sliding back a little bit or whatever, um, then he can address it. And, but it's, it's been like our relationship was already like literally constantly smooth sailing. It's been a very easy, um, relationship with minimal conflict. So it's not like it was a huge issue. I think that I hold very high standards in my relationship and like, I like to encourage him to as well. But I think in this way, we've managed to both meet each other's love language perfectly and both feel really rewarded for doing so. And it's kind of like, you know, we did that, um, podcast about the heterosexual bind where it's like someone withholds sex because she's not getting physical intimacy so she withholds sex and then he uh, sorry emotional intimacy and then he withholds emotional intimacy because he's not getting sex so it's it's all that cycle it was almost the same in the sense that I was withholding acts of service because I felt like maybe if I got more of this and this and this, I'd be more invested in doing it. And and now it's kind of like the cycle's broken and everything's dandy. <laughs> well, that's really good because you both didn't take it too personally when, when the other person no, said, I'd, yeah. I'd want you to express your love in a yeah. different, well, in a slightly different way, just to meet my love language a little bit, because yeah. uh, I know in, in for particularly younger relationships that wouldn't, you know, that, that conversation wouldn't go down well. Um, so that's the important thing. I think for anyone listening, it's, it's, uh, look, chances are the way you express your affection, your love, whatever it may be, is not the ideal version for your, for how your partner wants to be shown that love and affection. So, uh, a, a little bit of adjustment, um, on both ends. And it's a commitment to that adjustment because these things are so natural. These are, these are probably developed in our, in, in our formative years and, mm. To, to change that, it becomes a habit. It becomes work. And that's when people say, you know, a long-term relationship is work. It's because you've got to do those sorts of things. You've got to yeah, then force yourself to do it. But then hopefully after, you know, a couple of months or maybe even a year or two, then it does become habit and it does become natural. I know I wasn't affectionate at all um, in early relationships. And and uh, uh, I think it was my first girlfriend that said, yeah, you, you know, you're not very affectionate. You need to be more affectionate. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I, I, yeah. I, I'm horny all the time. But, you know, she wanted <laughs> non-sexual, non-sexual intimacy. Um, and That's I just so didn't funny. show much public. Yeah. I, I hated public affection. You know, I thought right, it was the cringiest yeah. thing. And I just didn't feel comfortable doing it. And then, then it changed. And then I felt very comfortable doing it. After a while, I, I wanted to, you know, make an effort there. And then. Ironically enough, a more recent girlfriend said what I said a couple of years ago, which was like, oh, you're so affectionate in public. It, it's it's off-putting. <gasps> um, oh, that's so, wild. Yeah, it's just <laughs> different. Of- Everyone's different. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and, you know, often it can come back. Whatever you think you're lacking or, you know, yeah. wanting another person, it often comes back to bite you in some way, shape or form. Um, okay, well, I think we've uh, spoken about criticism at length there and uh you know so any other i I think professional and um romantic relationship criticism are the main points of criticism for at least for this sort of podcast Mm -hmm. i know you can then go into 
political criticism and you know all sorts mm. of things like that criticism as a group as a culture and whatever but it's probably gonna take too long so i think i think we'll leave that one there uh thank you for that that was very informative and uh i hope that's helped other people navigate the tricky world of delivering and receiving criticism but it is something very important and it's something we are look we're a social species and and in this individualistic uh era and and culture that we live in this is something that we actually have to learn whereas i i can't help but feel for a lot of other societies and cultures this would just be something very natural that they don't have to make a concerted effort to try and learn or unlearn um especially for relationships you know develop uh uh, a, a, a healthy way to deliver yeah, feedback and be proactive, not reactive. Uh, don't don't blame and criticize. Try to sort of say like, hey, when you do this, it's so attractive. It's such a turn yeah. on. When when you yeah. don't do this, it's it makes me feel very uh, loved. If you say it in that way, rather than mm. you don't do this yeah. enough, I need more of this. Like that's just you know, yeah. people are likely going to get defensive. But again. Mm. They, there may be some couples that uh, do communicate in that way, so each to their own. Um, any any final words from from you? Yeah, just just one more final point, actually, which I forgot to mention is that if you find that you can't take any kind of criticism without having a like severe emotional reaction, I do encourage you to receive um, therapeutic support for that. And I know it's you know an answer for whatever, but. If you have, depending on your attachment style, depending on your trauma history, um, if you have any mental health diagnosis, especially anxiety or rejection dysphoria disorder, taking any kind of feedback, even if it's, you know, communicated super gently and warmly can be very soul destroying for some people. And it's not a natural feeling to have and it's not, it shouldn't be your norm. So if you find that, you have that you need to realize that other people are not going to give you the feedback that you actually need because they fear that reaction in you and you should take it upon yourself to seek help for your sake and for the sake of others. Yeah, it's not it's not everyone's responsibility to to walk on eggshells if you are that yeah. sort of a person and you know it'll, it won't serve you well like it it'll yeah. you know, it'll, it'll draw people away. Yeah, people will be will want to avoid you unfortunately and yeah. often it is because things may have happened in your life particularly in your early childhood or adolescence that definitely weren't fair and uh it's it does seem cruel uh to say like hey it's your responsibility but uh i think that's the way you need to look at these sorts of issues and i mean if you're in an established relationship or if you're in a established team it's something to definitely communicate and, and you can be accommodating to to those sorts of things but yes if, if like eliza said if it's to the extent where you can't if you find yourself um, responding to any criticism with, uh, you know, a complete breakdown or or alternatively, you just don't think there's anything about you that needs to be, you know, there's no behaviors that need uh, mm. any, that could be improved or anything like that. Well, I think both those. Yeah, that's a good point. Those yeah. ends of the spectrum probably need mm. to be uh, reflected upon. Uh, yeah. Rejection. What was the one you said? Rejection something dysphoria. dysphoria That's a new one. Disorder. Yeah, we talked about it with that guy that had um, ADHD, and he had a diagnosis of that. And it's quite common okay. with people that have ADHD. It's like a comorbid uh, disorder that's very frequent with people with ADHD. 
And it's yeah, tough. Right. And it's like you get okay. any kind of feedback and it's like, I'll think about this for seven weeks now and stress about it. So yeah, it's something that needs to be addressed uh, therapeutically. It's often not something that can be overcome individually. Okay. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you for, for that. I, I want to come work in your, I want to I wanna like do an internship where you work for two you weeks. Should. See how, be, how it actually, yeah. You'd be and See how it, how it operates <laughs> and, and vice versa. You should come, you know, do comedy yeah. for two, three weeks. That would be funny. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, thank you very much for listening, guys. Uh, com slash podcast. Send in a question, send in a topic, send in a shout out. All the money goes to charity, comedyuntamed.com. Come see me live if you live on the East Coast in one of the major cities. Uh, or if you don't, fly to one of the major cities, come see me. <laughs> and a group of very talented comedians, uh, steadyfreddy.com. Use the code sexcells and crushorganics.com. Use the code Neil. All right. Thanks, guys. We will see you next time. See you next week. <laughs>